This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl So it's just audio. So if you write something, you should be very visual in your description. Mm-hmm. You don't see it. And your last name is, is it pronounced as Mariana Pestana? Pestana? Pestana. 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 But you can say Pestana. Everyone says Pestana. It's okay. Don't worry. Before we dive into the conversation with Mariana, here's a short note from your hosts. This talk is longer than the other warming up talks because we wanted to make room for the fifth Istanbul Design Biennial. You can look at it as a special edition. If it wasn't for COVID-19, Sophie and I would have been live in Istanbul right now, being physically present for this quite pluriversal event. Instead, we've met Mariana Pushtana on Zoom after her first day of installing work for the Biennale. Enjoy the talk that meanders around the notions of empathy and imagination. Well, welcome, Mariana Pushtana from Istanbul in our third uh, warming up to the pluriverse talk. Is that a raincoat you're wearing, Mariana? Uh, yes, it's 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 raining a lot in in Istanbul. Sadly, um, not the perfect weather for our install schedule. But do you have to do a lot of outside installing? Uh, yes, we have a number of, of works that are installed in the public realm, um, in streets, piers, um, parks um, of the city. These are the a program we called uh, the New Civic Rituals. So they are um, interventions, um, permanent interventions, um, most, most of them. And they rehearse new kinds of encounters um, between people, but also with other species. And um, they encourage us to take different perspectives uh, of, of the city. Um, so for example, One of the, these interventions is a sundial that um, at night you can actually sit on it and watch um, the stars. It points towards the North Star, so it sort of reconnects you with you know, the, the sky, let's say, the cosmos. Um, and another project that will happen later um, is um, a platform um, for storytelling about the microbial histories of um, the cultures that live in the, the Bostans. These are um, horticultural gardens um, in Istanbul. And so Orkan Telhan and Eli uh, have been collecting soil from across these gardens and they have been studying um, these cultures. Some of them are thousands of years old. Um, and so the projects kind of established these connections. That sounds all super nice and very physical. And it reminds us, Sophie and me, of the fact that we should have been there with you, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, we miss you in Istanbul. Um, I'm very sorry that we weren't able to meet just yet, but hopefully we will continue this conversation in April next year. No, and it, it's really strange that you talk about the stars and the sun, and these trees and the city, and it's... Yeah, it somehow shows that it's really important to 
physically meet in space. I'm going to take a moment to uh, remind our listeners why we are here today for this series of uh, warming up uh, talks entitled In Search of the Pluriverse. They're inspired by this book that I'm holding up to the camera right now, Designs for the Pluriverse. Um, a book which, it's, in, it's an interesting book because it's um, somewhere in between the academic world and the vernacular world, a bit like its author, Arturo Escobar, who is a Colombian anthropologist, but he was also a an activist for many years alongside indigenous communities in, in Colombia. Um, and the book basically really, um, what it tries to do, which I find quite interesting, is to sketch uh, the role that design could play in cultivating worlds with a future. So he, he denounces, along with a, uh, another author from Australia, Tony Fry, the defuturing practices of, of a lot of design. And he calls for design, a design of worlds where difference can thrive in a way. And this is something that Escobar calls uh, world making. Uh, and this term, world making, uh, Mariana, is the, the term that we wanted to connect with your practice uh, today uh, through this talk. Mm -hmm. um, because Mariana Pestana, you are trained as an architect. Uh, you gained a PhD in architecture from the Barlett School of Architecture. You've also been teaching at the Royal College uh, of Arts uh, and Central St. Martins in London, but you live and work actually between two worlds, at least I would say, between Porto and London. Yeah. Um, and you're one of the co-founders of the Decoratives, uh, very interesting name, maybe we can get back to that after that. <laughs> sure. um, a collective which, and I quote you here, produces collaborative public interventions and cultural programs, such as Expedition Empathy. And we got that from your website and we thought, hey, that, you know, that echoes the theme of the Biennale this year. Mm. So that's interesting. That's so when it started, actually. That's when your, your interest in empathy started, yeah. We were really wondering if the, if the recent uh, events uh, surrounding the whole the pandemic um, that also changed the value of the word empathy. Mm -hmm. um, That's say shortly something about what what changed the context of the word empathy mm -hmm. in this pandemic for you and the biennial. Yeah, it's a really interesting question because the the word empathy has a very um, turbulent history, right? Um, so. Uh, Today, we, we tend to think of empathy as a way to understand um, uh, in cognitive terms or to um, simulate with our imagination or to uh, even grasp um, the emotions of other people. Um, and these, these three um, theories are, you know, divide psychologists and theorists and so on. Um, in uh, nowadays, um, but what fascinates me about empathy is uh, the meaning that it had uh, when it was first um, introduced into language. Uh, so it, when it was translated from the German Einfühlung, which means feeling to, um, and uh, it was um, used in the context of, of psychology and aesthetics theory. And in that beginning, um, it was used to describe a transference of feeling between 
people and things like objects and the natural world as well. Um, and so Vernon Lee, who was one, uh, one of the first people to write about empathy, uh, she did a, a very extensive study together with her partner on the sensations, the bodily um, reactions that they would have in front of certain objects. Some of them were artworks, others were chairs and or mountains. Or, and, uh, and so that sense of an, an embodied knowledge um, and an exchange of, of feelings, an exchange, an emotional exchange is what I find really interesting in the, in the term. And that's what motivated me to, to formulate empathy as, a, as an approach. I find it always challenging to speak about the pandemic right now because we're in the middle of it um, and I, I find this particular moment in time a little bit paralyzing in the sense that it's, it's so difficult to imagine what will come after it. Um, um, but it's true that um, somehow the, the term empathy has gained um, a new resonance, I think, with the, the general state of social deprivation or isolation that we have become accustomed to during this period. And so if um, the idea that design could um, elicit in us a, a desire for a more emotional connection with one another, but also with our immediate surroundings, uh, was a little bit abstract um, in February here in, in Europe or in Istanbul. Um, it has become maybe so, not such an abstract idea. Mm. I think uh, there was definitely a, a turn towards the, the local or a questioning of what the, a, a radically local means or a, a cosmological local to go back to, to Escobar. Because one of the things you've, one of the changes you had to make to the Biennale was, I, I think, indeed, as you just said, right, focusing more on the local context, but you've also decided to extend the Biennale by a couple of months, right? Yep. No, uh, that's true. I think that the, uh, this context has motivated us to question the, the, the standard model, let's say, of of the biennial and to, to, to really question what could be a biennial with, with less travel or less transport. Um, what um, if we did a generative um, biennial rather than showing existing work? What if we focused more in producing new work? And to such an extent that um, what we will present now in October is a series of beginnings. Uh, but the the interventions of this in the city are long-term. So uh, we were very concerned with this idea of legacy. You know, what does a biennial leave behind? And so um, this biennial doesn't have that many participants, but I think, but the projects have an interesting complexity to them. 
So with new civic rituals, for example, um, we, we worked um, in collaboration with municipalities here in Istanbul, with um, local groups and uh, specific communities to um, think about their afterlife after the period of the biennium. So um, after even April <laughs> next year, some, will then, some of them will continue to live in the public sphere. Others will be adopted and cared for by uh, different communities. Um, you know, it's, it's an experiment. Um, so in terms of the engagement with the biennial, it's not the sort of biennial that you can visit in a day or a couple of days. Um, the, the contents are um, dispersed in a way because they cater for different kinds of audiences and sort of they play with you as a visitor uh, and with the role you take. So, you know, if you're watching the cooking show, you're, you're a spectator at home <laughs> in your kitchen, hopefully. Um, but at the library, you become a researcher yourself, right? So you book a space at the Library of London. So you book a table, in fact. Um, and then you wear gloves and, and go through the, the materials of the archive that's, that will be available there. And in the new civic rituals, I mean, you become a, a participant in the, the protocol or the etiquette that, that each, you know, each of them puts forward. Mm. Um, so I guess, um, yeah, and this part of the program, as you said at the beginning, it's, it's very catered for the citizens of Istanbul, of course. So depending on uh, where you are and, uh, and what time you engage with the biennial, then you will see, I guess, a different thing. Well, it's important if you take things in a longer stretch and things can develop over time, you also need to have a different strategy for archiving and representing these projects. Yeah, we've been discussing this um, uh, a lot. Um, and it's not that we have a perfect um, solution for it. I think we're also um, understanding how best to communicate it and, and archive it as, as we go. Mm -hmm. And is this Library of Land and Sea? So, uh, because we're very interested in that, because as you know, we were planning to also look into the, the relationship of Istanbulites uh, with water, their historical relationship, but also water as a myth, water as a commodity. Has it started now for the biannual? You really started it and is it going to continue? Is it going to get adopted by another library? Mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the life? Can you sketch out the life of this library of land and sea a little bit? Yes, so... Um... The, the projects are um, a combination of uh, new research and existing research. So um, everything that will be shown um, uh, was produced now for the, for the context of the biennial, but we have um, encouraged the, the participants uh, uh, of the program to give continuity to projects and investigations that they were already developing. Um, and uh, the way that we found them was, um, again, a, a combination. Earlier this year, we did an open call for our kitchen program. Um, and so some of, some of the projects that are in the library were projects that we identified through that open call. Others um, were projects that we 
um, came across or that we knew about um, um, and, and we decided to gather them together under this, this roof of, of the library. Um, and do we, can you describe it for us, for our listeners? Like I'm imagining a library, but I don't know if that's what it actually looks like. What, what mm -hmm. is the space like? You mentioned a desk, you mentioned gloves. Mm -hmm. So here in uh, Istanbul, the, the Library of Land and Sea um, is going to be located at Arkultur, which is a, a modernist house um, with a tiny garden outside. Um, visitors will arrive at this house and they will be um, greeted by a host um, who, um, and um, they, they can wait at the lobby where they will find um, information about the library, um, where they can find gloves and cologne um, <laughs> to clean their hands. Uh, and then they will find a series of tables. So they can book a place at the library and, um, and take a table. And then there's a, a series of shelves surrounding these tables with documents, objects, um, um, texts, books, uh, found material um, gathered by each project um, as a, it's almost like an uh, archival material <laughs> that's available for visitors to, to go through. Um, and then they will also find a, um, a little dossier with um, an overview of the project in writing and a caption um, for these objects. So um, hopefully then uh, the visitors will pick objects from the shelves and take them to the table for closer examination or cross-examination. Um, and we hope that this um, in a way is a, an educational project. Um, so we hope that uh, people will learn about the, the complexities of, um, of land and sea in the Mediterranean basin, uh, but also about these, these invisible networks of food production that, that are revealed by the projects. Um, and we hope that, that this will encourage further research as well. Yeah, but the space is, um, it's divided into four floors. Um, in the ground floor, um, you will find a number of desks and projects in the first and second floor uh, with these kinds of materials that I described to you. On the rooftop, um, you will find a number of prototypes. So these are larger scale um, objects produced by each researcher. Uh, and these projects, they either um, uh, test out a thesis that this investigation puts forward or um, uh, they invite you to take on a perspective on, on the sea. So say, for example, fraud um, are building a tower um, and when you go up to that tower, you can watch, you can look at the sea, right? And Aslahan um, Demirtas created an earth table, earthable, that is um, a piece of soil that is alive and will develop, evolve, let's say, um, through the course of, uh, you know, as the library sort of welcomes people in and out, and then the soil will also have its own life. 
Um, and finally, in the basement, we, we, we have a series of films being screened um, that people can, can watch. So it sounds like I could spend like a whole day there. So I can really take my time. Do I book a time? Mm. Yes, uh, the time slots are one and a half hours per person. Of course, you can book two if you're very interested, like you would in a, in a public library, I guess. You would come back to, to continue the reading that you've started. Sounds like also a great resource for, for students, no? Design students who would yeah. want to do a project around our relationship to soil and water that they could... Yes, I hope so. And it's interesting because, for example, with um, Aslihan Demirtas, who is looking into um, Bostans, so the networks of food uh, production and distribution in the city of Istanbul. The Bostans are agri um, uh, horticultural gardens um, in Istanbul that date back to uh, thousands of years ago, <laughs> actually. Um, they were very prominent during the, the Ottoman Empire and they, they are an interesting model of urban agriculture. So Aslahan Demirtas, together with her students, they have developed this research project. So it's interesting that university students are already part of the library in a way, for example, via this project. It was also uh, for us a way to, to deal with the restrictions on um, the hygienic and social distancing restrictions that uh, rather than um, having a, an exhibition that would be experienced in a rather awkward way <laughs> with very few people and um, in a specific time and date. We thought that the, the library model of engagement with, you know, was- It's already was solitary in a way. Everyone's used to be solitary in a library. Exactly. And if, and if you, and it's, it's already natural that you're touching um, uh, uh, objects that are fragile and, and therefore you, you will have to um, wear gloves, for example, anyway. Uh, so it was, it, it was also a, a format that sort of developed out of, uh, of this condition. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that I've discussed a lot with Sumitra Upham, who is um, uh, my co-curator at Biennial and who has been uh, mostly responsible for this project, and also with future anecdotes who are our exhibition designers, and they designed the library. So hmm. we were designing um, together not just a collection of projects, but also uh, an experience of engaging with them. So it was really uh, a very collaborative conversation between us about how, how to do this. Well, now you've got two researchers from the Netherlands who are already wanting to dig into your library. So, yeah. and we want to dig into, especially time is running. So we have to move on a little bit. There's one project that you're showing in the library of Land and Sea, which you emailed us about this summer when we were corresponding about who to speak to, etc. Mm -hmm. when we would come to Istanbul. I don't know if I pronounce her name right. Asli Uludar, do I say I'm it right? I'm also not the best person, but yeah, Asla. <laughs> I know it's Asla. Okay, <laughs> Asla. I hope Asla will forgive us for not pronouncing her name right. <laughs> um, her project is called Mattering of a Productive Mythology. Uh, and it's about a, a specific area with a microclimate due to some uh, air uh, flows of airs and flows of wetness. Uh, where maybe you can tell us shortly the story mm -hmm. of this area um, and why you chose this 
project for the to be shown at the Library of London soon. So it's interesting because with um, Asloy was one of the people who applied to to the kitchen open call, and when we had a, a first conversation with her, we were just so fascinated by the um, this research project that, that she intended to do. She had um, began this process. And so the, so the library or the, the biennial could become um, the excuse and the means for, for her to, to continue this investigation. And Asla was looking at the Buyuk Menderes Graben, which is a, a rift valley in the Asian coast of Turkey. And um, because of, of this particular geography um, and the flows of air uh, and water between sea and, and the inland areas, um, the, the, the region became a, a perfect climatic context for fruit trees, specifically olive and, and fig trees, um, that are the, and, the, and they have become the primary source of income for, for the local population. Um, and so what Asla has identified is that because of these um, uh, climatic conditions, there's a, almost like a mythology that developed around the cultivation of these specific uh, trees and their, uh, and their entanglement with the lives of the, the, the population there. But in the 1960s, these geography became a geothermal field. So it means that the, um, the, this landscape is now um, populated by a new kind of infrastructure to produce energy. And that infrastructure replaced the olive and fig trees. And so this has generated some resistance um, locally, uh, led by local women mostly, and fruit growers uh, who have been fighting to, 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 to protect this land. So um, Asla's project really engages with this shift in mythology, as she calls it. Um, so she says that there's this, that the, the geothermal field sort of ignited a new kind of mythology for this place. And uh, what her project does really I think beautifully is articulate how these two visions for uh, for a place are are in dialogue. But it doesn't sound all negative to me now when you say it. So things are adapting. People are adapting also to the new situation, or is it just a dark story about things that will never come back? No, I think it's a story about the complexity of uh, the complexity of our relationship to this uh, soil and this water, right? Um, and I think what the what the project does is sort of outline these um, conflicting visions and um, and invite us to to consider what what produces um, change in a place and. And especially how those, um, how the different imaginations that are um, at play when defining the future of a place, you know, how do they um, each articulate their own ideas and who's, who are the agents of these different kinds of imaginations? One of the things that Arturo Escobar really 
says that he hopes is that designs that would, uh, let's say, um, serve a pluriverse, so a world in which many worlds fit, mm -hmm. in which also uh, different worlds can cohabit, they could become a tool for reimagining and reconstructing uh, local worlds. So she's he's really looking for a way that design, maybe through, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the things that design can do, is able to do, could contribute really also. So not only observe, but also really play a role. How, how do you see that in this project? Um, yeah, that's a, a really beautiful observation. I, I, I suppose that um, this project takes action um, even in the way that the, the, the research is carried out, right? Um, in order to map, in order to um, draw these, um, the complexities of this landscape, um, Asla Uludag has engaged in a conversation with these different voices that uh, uh, call for different visions of, uh, about this region. And I think that in itself is, um, is an active mode of, uh, of research, right? And so um, I find that, um, uh, so maybe I'd say a couple of things. One is um, uh, in relation to um, designs for the pluriverse that uh, there's this idea that um, for other worlds to come to the fore, right? that we need to really look into the conditions under which these worlds are imagined or the dif different worlds are imagined. And I think that's what's happening here in this project, right? Is thinking where, where does this imagination for um, this particular rift, where is it nurtured and how so? And just that questioning in itself, I find it incredibly productive. And uh, yeah, so go on, Eric question could be is how those imaginations can uh, bring us further or mm -hmm. make us, you know, make us transcend into this reverse. Detach ourselves a little bit from the reality of economic growth and of capitalism and of this sort of production um, mold we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could, you could sort of sketch such a vision or you know, because you've, you, you, you've been quite, you have now quite an overview of what's going on, at least in Istanbul. So you know uh, where the new things are or where those new, perspect new perspectives are. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely. Yeah, you're reminding me of um, uh, a definition of, of imagination that I really like is uh, by Arjuna Padurai, right, where he makes a distinction between um, fantasy and imagination, where fantasy be is um, a means to access other worlds, but through escapism, right? So it's a means to escape the reality in which we're in by resorting to a sort of parallel dimension, let's say, an imagined world. Uh, but imagination, on the contrary, is something that's very connected to action and, uh, and real life and our aspirations for a better life. Activating an image, right? Imagination, yes. in a way. Exactly. It's, it's very connected to action, to everyday action. 
and, uh, and and that's what I find interesting about these um, the research projects. Um, we're speaking about Tasli Uludags, but but with the others as well. Is that um, the kind of design thinking that goes into them and as a design practice of, of research is one that um, on the one hand connects scales. I think that's that's something that design can do and which is I find incredibly productive, right? But then what it does is also collect, connect um, different communities and voices. And I believe that the gathering of uh, participants, you know, in the in the, in Asla's research, for example, is already um, a mode of of activism. I would say. And how does she gather these voices of the of the different participants? Like physically, what form does that take? So she's showing these uh, documents that um, refer to the to the legal, the scientific developments that have shaped the Buyuk Mendes Basin, mm -hmm. right? Then she, um, she has also these, uh, this event dial, which um, organizes uh, all of the events and uh, the, the materials. And then she, she also has the, um, like the, the actual olive and fig branch. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we could consider that the the, the doc, you know, the legal documents are the tools that, uh, in a way, make this imaginary real. Escobar says that he sees tools can be anything. So they can be mm -hmm. indeed documents, uh, structures, governance systems, um, policies. Well, what I do like is that the proposition for these uh, presentations are so open. So I, as a visitor, need to somehow imagine also or make make links between these different types of information like the legal document, the olive branches, which mm -hmm. leads a lot to me, uh, yeah, to my empathetic, maybe my empathetic power, <laughs> my imaginary powers to, 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 to turn it into a story. Mm -hmm. So this, this brings us to like this idea of the tools, which also in the book Designs for the Provers plays a really big role and especially this observation by Escobar, but also he refers to Ivan Illich, uh, the author of the well-known, the design classic <laughs> Tools for Conviviality. <laughs> yeah. so tools that would allow us to live together, conviviality. Up to what point are these tools um, productive in the sense of generative and generative of life? And at, one point, at what point do they become damaging mm -hmm. of life worlds and of, of different situations? That's a... I think that could be a nice reflection uh, on these on the material that you have gathered at the Library of Land and Sea, perhaps. Yeah, and and tools for what purpose, right? There's also this um, quite explicit critique to, to functionality in in uh, Escobar's book as the the functionality that was that became sort of the modern definition of of design, right? Or uh, yeah. the prerequisites of, of design and I guess uh, yeah you're right I think the the proposition that that these tools could um, become pieces for storytelling I think is a really powerful one in a way and it's funny because um, this morning Sumitra and I were at the library uh, looking through um, some of the materials that have um, been printed and, and that we, we have gathered already. 
Um, and one of them was by, and we were looking at these beautiful posters that Counterspace produced. They are looking at a number of spices um, and, the, the, and then the recipes and the stories that each spice carries with them. They're looking mostly at uh, um, spices that circulate in, in the north of Africa. Um, and, and we were, um, and just by, by looking and commenting on those pieces, we, we made so many connections with some of the critical show, critical cooking show films, right? Um, so for example, we were looking at this uh, tagine recipe, which sort of brought us to um, a, a film produced by Deep Patriarchy's design. Uh, which is uh, really a critique to um, uh, high cuisine and high design <laughs> and the appropriation of certain design elements um, by high cuisine and high design, such as uh, the tagine um, pot, I think you would call it. And uh, yeah, so the, which is a, a, a it's it's a very powerful manifesto film um, that they've done for one program, but yes, I think the objects. Uh, I think your thesis basically has already been tested with us this morning, <laughs> and uh, it, it worked to some extent. Because you're installing it right now, so for you, mm -hmm. all these relations and these sort of how these objects and facts and and papers and documents and also the films um, will resonate together and how they together will form this sort of open structured narrative or a series of, of narratives that's also for you still becoming something right so this is a very exciting week for you to install the work uh yes it's also uh very worrying but uh, <laughs> equally Exciting, definitely. Um, yeah, I think that's that's always the case, isn't it? When you start a project, that you don't quite know where where exactly it's it's going to lead, and you sort of discover the project as you go. I think if you allow it enough space to grow in unexpected directions, and I guess in in this biennial, um, most of the contents were, were newly um, created. So it has been a big conversation. The outcome is still unexpected in a way, which is interesting. And I think we can, Sophie and I can't wait to join you in spring when hopefully we, we're, we are allowed to travel again. Hey, and Mariana, we will publish this podcast on the day of your opening next week, October 15. We, we plan to have it online. Is there anything you want to say uh, that day to our listeners? Because some people out here in Holland, you'll have a sort of parallel Vienna mm -hmm. <laughs> opening here in Holland on air. Do you want to say anything to our listeners, wherever they may be on the next um, Thursday? Yes, I, I want to say um, that this has been um, an incredibly collaborative process and that um, uh, the result of that they will see either now um, online um, or when they come to Istanbul um, maybe next year um, in April maybe later um, is uh, the result of a very large conversation between um, 
a huge uh, number of people that have all contributed to the biennial, including some of our partnering cultural um, organizations, such as Hat New Institute, who is making our collaboration possible. Um, and yeah, I want to say that from the 18th of um, October, uh, we launched our first critical cooking show, um, which um, is by Valeria Myler and Augustine Shang. Um, and uh, it's a, a, a first episode, a film called The Case of Meat, and they will take us on a, a journey of um, the slaughterhouse typology, architectural typology in Argentina and end with a recipe of empanadas. So I hope you join us for that. Okay. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you so much, Sophie and Eric. Very nice talking with you. So this was In Search of the Plur Rivers. Stay tuned for the next warming up talk coming up very soon, two, three weeks from now. For more background on this project, please visit plurivers.hetniweinstitute.nl. Under the tab about the Plur Rivers, we post the link where you can download the book. So start reading it and join us. Uh, you can join us on our Instagram channel at In Search of the Plur Rivers. Thank you.